Welcome to WKJP News Radio, the podcast that talks about the 90s sitcom News Radio, one episode at a time. Here with me is. Kayleen. And I, of course, am Dan Rather. No. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 7, entitled Bill's Autobiography. At the top, I like to ask, <laughs> what? I thought you were waiting for me to say something there. You left an opening. Oh, no. And then I thought of something to say. Please say it. This is one of the first times the title actually seems like it goes with the episode very well. Like, it's a very, very boring title, but it is exactly what the episode is about. Do you think this is a more apt title than Rat Funeral? Mm. (laughs) You're right. Rat Funeral was also accurate. Yeah. It's less generic than Friends or The Crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know, when I when you said the, the title was Bill's Autobiography, I was like, all right, what dumb thing is this going to be about that's not Bill's Autobiography? And <laughs> right. then that's exactly what it was. Also, there was no subplot. Yes, that was in that's interesting. One. Let's mm-hmm. get into that in a bit. But yeah, that's a good point. All right, I like to ask at the top, how you doing? I've been home with our littlest because he's been sick this week. I feel like every podcast, I'm like, oh, we're sick. We're sick. <laughs> I know. One of us is sick. I kind of hate this time of year. Yeah, me too. It's <laughs> not nice. It's the most. Keep going. Terrible time. That's not. It's not the most. It's terrible not the most terrible time. No, I just I was thinking today about how, if ever anyone says Christmas is magical, that just means that they had someone in their life that made it magical for them as a child. Mm-hmm. Like Christmas time on its own. It's not magical. It's not inherently magical. No. No. And I and I think that, like the older I get, the more into like having to create that magic for my own children, the more I'm like, oh, there's no one creating magic for me at Christmas. It's a little bit. I am the magic maker. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like people who go to the theater and they're like, oh, the show is just magical. And then mm-hmm. like if you work in the theater, you're probably like, yeah, there's like hundreds of people behind the scenes making this happen and making this into a spectacle yeah i don't know if that's a good comparison i mean i find that really interesting to think about when it comes to theater like broadway shows yeah when you get to when you get to just be on the receiving end of any type of performative act it is such a gift mm-hmm. and when you are on the giving end of a performative act it is a lot of work but it's also i mean it's rewarding obviously but you hear that, listeners? <laughs> it is. I mean, my hope is that our children have, I mean, that's why we do all of this. Yeah. Like, it's just, I want them to have awesome winter Christmassy memories yep. and traditions that they remember that like, oh, my family did this every year. And because I have stuff like that with my family. and Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, and my family wasn't even super Christmassy. You know, I would never say like, oh, my mom went all out on Christmas or my dad, you know, lit up the house with lights or, you know, Mm -hmm. he wasn't Clark Griswold, Mm -hmm. but I had good Christmases and yeah. Yeah. It's a tough time of year to try to (laughs) fit in a weekly podcast. I've learned. Oh yeah. Uh, But I mean, I told you like, yeah, I'm like October till New Year's. I was like, I don't know about this schedule we have here. Yep. I know. Hopefully we can uh, build up a bit of a backlog in the new year. But I was really hoping also to get to the Christmas episode, which is coming up in a few. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there is a Christmas episode. I was hoping to get to that at the Christmas week. Oh, sure. And I'm not sure that'll happen. Stay tuned. Well, you can force me to watch news radio. (laughs) Force me to talk about it. 
You make it sound like I've got a gun to your head right now. Sometimes we do this and I just say to myself, like, marriage is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And I've committed this. I've committed my life to you. Mm-hmm. And I've committed my time to you with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry marriage. <laughs> Merry marriage. All right. So I'd like to ask, Kayleen, what have you been watching lately? What have I been watching lately? Um, Do you need a little more direction here? You have watched something by yourself that I want a report on. Oh. And we watched something together I would like to talk about. <laughs> so there was an assignment. <laughs> um, so last night you watched... Oh, Ace Ventura. Yeah, report back. We talked about that oh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. I guess we talked about When Nature Calls, but you watched the I watched original. the first yeah. one. Well, I asked you if you'd watch it with me, and you said no. I think I was... Mm. I was inclined toward no. I was not a. I was not a hard no. And then I came in, and you were watching it last night. So. Well, I just discovered it was on Hulu. Oh, okay. I was, you know, cruising around Hulu just looking for something to watch. Sure. And uh, all right, tell us about it. <laughs> Jim Carrey is so interesting. He's just like a rubber person. Mm-hmm. Um, his face. <laughs> What is it they called him? Uh, I uh, I feel bad I can't attribute this quote, but um, somebody in some uh, in some review somewhere called him a rubber faced fart smith <laughs> when he I first mean, came out. Yeah, <laughs> that always stuck with me. Rubber faced fart smith. Yeah, there's just something about the way that he is, the, like his physicality, is really interesting, and so much of the like. Who is her? Yeah, like that type of stuff. I totally forgot about that. Or like a, <laughs> I can't even like do it. Like yeah. I can't. I can't even replicate it. And it just seems like it flows out of him so naturally. It almost seems like was this movie made for him? Because who else? Or did or did he like create this character? Because it's question. such a yeah. It's such a character, you know. Yeah. When you look at like the lines though of the pet detective, the main character, I don't know that his lines are actually that strange. I feel like so much of it is like strange facial expressions or mm-hmm. improving or yeah. I don't I I assume it was improv, I don't know. <laughs> they did they script Lahoza her? I don't, I don't know. know. Um Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Way more raunchy though. Like yeah. so much fart type jokes mm-hmm. and just um, I mean, very much aimed at the 10-year-old boy oh, demographic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I forgot. Did you remember there's a whole montage where he realizes that that woman is a man? Yeah. And he, like, burns his clothes and is, like, in the shower. He, like, showers and he, like, washes his mouth out with, like, bleach and is, like, so repulsed because he kissed her. Mm. And... It's like funny, yeah. And and you're like the music behind this montage is almost like you're supposed to feel bad for him, like, right. oh my god, you poor man, you accidentally <laughs> kissed another man. Yeah, how will you go on? <laughs> right. And even in the in the last scene where it's revealed that Ray Finkel is, you know, living as a woman or whatever, mm-hmm. the entire police force starts yeah. like gagging yeah. and spitting because they can't believe. Yes. Oh my gosh! I actually found myself looking up the actress because hmm. I was like, I was like, is it an actress or an actor? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It was such a weird. There you go. Uh, How was Tone Loke? He was 
the same he always is. He did the rap at the end of the Did the, he really? Yeah. Excellent. I, th- I think so. I think it was him. He did the Ace Ventura rap? Yeah, I think there is a rap at the end. Rap. Rap. Animal rap. <laughs> yeah, that's is that it. Was. Yeah, was it? Okay. that, that yeah. was it. The dolphin was good. I forgot Dan Marino. Man, yes. he cannot act. Nope. Nope. Uh, I did not remember Courtney Cox being in it mm-hmm. also. And it was interesting to watch her make out with Jim Carrey. Yes. She's the love interest. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't need to watch it again for another 20 years. Great. Maybe ever. <laughs> oh. If you never saw it again, oh, would you to- be sad? <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. So that's the movie you watch by yourself. And then the movie we watched together the other night is Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah. Which was a great. delight. Yeah, yeah. Great. So this was a movie that my grandparents had. So I have seen it many, many times mm-hmm. because we would watch it, my cousins and I. Um, so I feel like I knew the beats really well, but I hadn't watched it in years. So in some ways it was very new to me again. But one thing you and I talked about multiple times is how, you know, as a child, I thought of Mrs. Doubtfire as a movie about a guy dressing up as a woman Mm -hmm. and like being sneaky and, you know, it's like a comedy. And now as an adult watching it, I'm like, oh, this is a movie about the difficulties of navigating a divorce Mm -hmm. and not being around your children and like transitioning into a new life after Mm -hmm. a divorce. Yeah. That's not funny. Yeah. A big thing (laughs) you pointed out was that um, when you're a kid, it's very easy to read this as Daniel trying to get his wife back or trying to like win her over again and get back into the marriage. Yeah. That's what I thought as a kid. I thought like he was trying to get their family back together. Yeah. But he's not. No. He's really just needs to see his kids. Which is so sad. Very sad. But then also I said that um, there's a way of telling this exact same story with a dramatic spin where it's uh, man loses his mind completely, (laughs) infiltrates his former family in disguise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like a horror film. Yeah, exactly. It's revealed (laughs) that he's completely off the deep end. Well, there's a great recut on YouTube of... So I've taught video before, and mm-hmm. they sometimes I would have the students watch, you know, Mary Poppins recut as a trailer for a horror film. Right. There's a Mrs. Doubtfire recut as a trailer for a horror oh, film. Oh, okay, great. And it's actually quite good. Oh, sure. Which isn't surprising. I mean, there's a lot to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, still funny. Still very funny. I caught a lot of jokes I did not catch as a kid, that's for sure. Oh my god. Oh yeah. There is some off-color remarks yes there there are sally field though is it field Fields. yeah it's i field. always mess it up it's field sally field and robin williams i mean some of the best they're both like, great they're so fantastic and even we even said even the kid actors in this are quite good mm-hmm. and we hate kid actors we hate them <laughs> that was for you uncle keith <laughs> uh i think pierce brosnan is great in this the way mm-hmm. he has to put up with uh mrs doubtfire's bullshit is Excellent. I think he's just a great... Like, yeah. He's caught in this funny position where he has to be nice to this old lady who's being horrible to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, so that was a good one. Should we get into the news radio episode? Please. Okay. So this, like I said, is Bill's autobiography. It aired November 21st, 1995. Written by Joe Fury. Directed by Michael Lembeck. So the synopsis of this episode is, Bill receives an offer to publish his autobiography, but he soon realizes there is not much in his life worth committing to paper. 
I don't understand how he even got an offer to write an autobiography. Yep. Is he famous? That is a very good question. In some ways, he must be because he's on the air daily uh, on the radio in, you know, the most important city in the world. Um, so is it the is it the news station that everybody listens to? Uh, that's a good question. Do you remember the models saw him and they recognized him mm-hmm. on site, which is really weird because he's on the radio. Wasn't well, he like on a bus sometimes or something? Maybe I'm getting him confused with Frazier. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He must be some level of famous. I think he's probably on the level of, he's like a tier or two below um, Ira Glass. That's what I was going to say. I was like, is this like Ira Glass getting an autobiography? But uh, I mean, even Ira Glass is national public radio. Right? I know. He has a national, if not international stage. So I think, yeah, it's a click or two or three below somebody like that. Hmm. I think he's probably at the level of like a Michelle Norris. Yeah, no. No one would read her autobiography. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's a small publisher. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We don't get much detail about the no. uh, publisher. So, in the first scene, Bill tells Dave that there's interest in his autobiography and that he needs a he needs Dave to sign a release so that he can work on an outside project. Dave accidentally mentions this to Lisa and Lisa announces it to everyone in the office, even though Bill does not want Dave to tell anybody. The scene ends with Dave spilling his coffee on Matthew. I know, that was the first thing I wrote down. Unnecessary coffee spill. Yeah. It's like, it's just like kicking the dog when it's down. Like, why? Matthew's the dog? Yes. Yeah. He's a sad pup. It was a really weird, abrupt end to the scene. It felt like it was cut weird. Like, it yes. felt like it was cut right in the middle of the reaction. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, it just felt like, come on. Yeah. So then we get the credits, and in the next scene, uh, we learn that, yep, this episode is basically going to be entirely about Bill's insecurity. <laughs> uh, he's complaining to Dave and Lisa that he has only written the outline, the two words, the outline, even though he's been working on it for three months. Dave suggests that he starts with radio. Just pick one point, and then you'll be able to take off. Yeah, start, start with radio. What's interesting about radio? <laughs> well, I think it's a fascinating medium. You're from Wisconsin. Artificial light is fascinating to you. You really like the Wisconsin digs. I kind of do. Because the other one about the horse in the town. (laughs) The cow. Oh, sorry. The cow. Yeah. The cow got loose. In the town square. And from the pilot, when uh, Bill learns that Dave is from Wisconsin and says, I love cheese. Yeah, that actually made me laugh. Yeah. I did. I did uh, write. Would there be an easier book to write than an autobiography? I mean, honestly, I I understand that one might have a hard time coming up with what are the good stories to tell or what the order is to put things or is there a theme or a message behind it. But to not even know where to start with writing an autobiography just seems stupid. (laughs) I kind of agree. Like, at the very least, don't you just start by... Where actually were you describing born? <laughs> everything that's ever happened Who to you. Who is in your family? Where have you grown up? And then it's two or three steps down the road where you try to make that interesting or try right. to shape it in some way. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. quite get that either. I can't think, honestly, of an easier book to write than starting out with facts that you already know. <laughs> yeah. I think he's very stuck in his own head and very sort of like 
has that horror of the blank page staring at him. Um, I know that he's also comparing himself to other people in his field. There's several references to, like, Dan Rather and what he was doing when he was 19 years old, that sort of thing. So we find out that one recurring theme in Bill's life so far is that uh, he has misspent a lot of his time drinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He spent a lot of time in college drinking, and the reason he got into radio was that his aunt owns a radio station. Uh, and hired him to get him to stop drinking. What a weird, I don't know, solution. <laughs> yeah, that is, it is strange. But yeah, uh, Bill likes his drink, that's for sure. That's uh, a recurring thing that continues throughout the series. Hmm. At the conference table, the staff is discussing possible titles for Bill's autobiography. Uh, I wanted to point out, I really like Matthew's shirt. He's got what's called a, a Mandarin collar or a Nehru collar. Oh, yeah. I just thought that was kind of nice looking. That's all. <laughs> I should point out we haven't seen a single sweater vest I know, in season two. I know. I was kind of enjoying those. So you gotta yeah. you gotta take your appreciation of Matthew's wardrobe where it comes, I and guess. I guess this is it. So, uh, so anyway, they're discussing possible titles. Um, I like Joe's, which is the microphone never blinks, <laughs> which makes no sense. <laughs> no, and is uh, it's Joe's adaptation of Dan Rather's autobiography, which is the camera never blinks. Uh, Matthew's suggestion is, give me 12 minutes, I'll give you my life, which actually piques Bill's interest. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, that's a, that felt like a weird self-help something. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not a great title. All right, in the next scene, Bill is going on and on about his writing process. Um, he's kind of bragging to Catherine about the, uh, the delight he takes in the process. Uh, he finds out that Matthew keeps a diary. I love how Matthew comes up and just tries to relate to him, interact with him. Just like, yeah, I keep a diary. Sometimes I write 20 to 25 pages a night. And Bill goes, yeah, I have my slow days too. (laughs) What do you think Matthew writes 20 or 25 pages about in his diary? Matthew, to me, is he is an external processor. Mm. You know? Like... He needs to relate to other people in order to under- make sense of things. Yeah. And not having a person there to, like, bounce things off of, he writes it. hmm I mean, maybe you cut this out, maybe you don't. But I noticed a pattern when you and I were dating, because you and I went through a couple of patches where we were, maybe we're, I guess we were broken up, but it seems like we never really broke up. But, like, there were patches where we didn't talk or whatever. We would break up, but not usually cut contact yeah or yeah. at least not for long but I, I noticed a pattern where i would write in my journal mm. about you yeah. or about our relationship or about whatever was on my mind in those times when we weren't close mm-hmm. and then i would go long stretches where i didn't write anything because mm-hmm. i was talking to you and you were my person to like you know. things off of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I can imagine Matthew being that type of person, too. I don't know. No, yeah, that could be. I can't believe I kind of, like, I won't say it. I can see <laughs> in the corner of my eye wanting, I won't say it. Say what? You won't say what? I don't like him. I feel bad for him. I have empathy for him. Mm-hmm. He's growing on you as a character. I suppose so. <laughs> Look of satisfaction on your face right now. just gonna soak it up. Just take my wins where I get them. Take the W, Jordan. All right, so one solution to the problem that uh, Bill is having, which he's only confiding in Lisa and Dave, is for Dave to give Bill a tape recorder. Uh, Just kind of carry this around with you, say things, 
you know, when you think of a story, mention it into the tape recorder. Like a Norm MacDonald note to self. Definitely, yeah. That's yeah. a callback to something we mentioned a few episodes ago. I want you to take this tape recorder, just carry it with you through the day, and just, just talk into it whenever anything pops into your head. Hmm. I can't hurt, I guess. How's this thing work, anyway? Hmm. Let me get you a fresh tape. What is your obsession with that song? It wasn't me, it's just the tape that this thing came with. Unfortunately, Dave has already recorded himself singing uh, America's Horse With No Name into the tape recorder. Do you know that song reminds me of our wedding? Yeah. Well, does that one or Sister Golden Air? Yeah, those two songs in particular do, but... Tell us why. So, well, because America was also in town the night of our wedding doing a concert, and my dad had a real tough choice (laughs) to make. Attend his only daughter's wedding or see America in concert. Who he's seen already, hasn't he? I don't know. Probably. But, I mean... He made the predictable choice and mm-hmm. came to the wedding. <laughs> but we played Sister Golden Hair for everyone to dance to. Yes, and Horse With No Name. Oh, we did? Yeah, we played both of them. And I have a really... I, I danced to Horse With No Name with my dad oh, nice. at our wedding. Nice. And then I have another really clear memory of my friend Joni yeah. uh, dancing with her husband to Sister Golden Hair. Oh. And, like, you know, he's passed away. And yeah. I, I, whenever I hear that song, I think of them. And, like, they just were so... You know, she's a little bit older than me, so some of the music I think we played maybe wasn't her style, but, like, when that song came on, I could just tell, like, she and her husband were really excited to dance to it. Oh. And, yeah, like, I get kind of emotional thinking about it. Like, I, I, after he passed away, I told her, like, when I hear that song, I think of them and, like, their marriage. And That's really sweet. Yeah. It makes me think of, well, not Horse With No Name, but Sister Golden Air makes me think of my friend Angie, who put it on a mix CD for me a long time ago. Hmm. And then, honestly... Horse with no name makes me think of this bit from news radio because this is one that I've remembered for twenty years. Oh wow! Is the because <laughs> I just think it's such a funny little character touch. Yeah. To have Dave sing into a <laughs> tape recorder, <laughs> and then my favorite part of that is Lisa asks in such a kind way, but also in such a like friendly teasing way. Like, what is your obsession with that song? Like she's not accusing him of being mean, but she's also like teasing him a bit. And in the way that like, Oh, that's, you can tell they like each other. They get along. So Jimmy James shows up. He is very excited about Bill writing this uh, autobiography, presumably because it's going to be really good press for the station. Um, He has two, (laughs) Uh, expressions that stick in my mind. One is, he says, he calls Bill, you old son of a biscuit eater, you. <laughs> That's what's called a minced oath. Instead of calling him a son of a bitch, call him a son of a biscuit eater. And then he also says that he is pleased as Christmas punch. Because, you know, you know the expression, pleased as punch. Yes. Uh, I like the, I like the, like, twist of it being Christmas punch. You like expressions. Come you by, like words, you like expressions. I do. I come by that honestly. I wrote down, he said, ain't that a pisser? Yes, he does. What does that even mean? Oh. Uh, is that... I think it just means like, wow, a, that's really something. I guess so. I was just like, it almost sounded like an insult. Yes. Like... But like, it's it wasn't not... That, like, it feels like almost like a bad thing could happen, and then you'd be like, ah, ain't that a pisser? <laughs> I mean, it, maybe it could be like, ah, oh, that's really something. Who would have seen that coming? <laughs> maybe. Um, so Bill's autobiography is going to be really big. He's going to be huge. 
You are going to be big, my friend. Bigger than, uh, Dave, what's the name of that guy that's really big? Andre the Giant? No, 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 no. Well, it's not dead yet. Oh, Hulk Hogan. Bingo! (laughs) Anyway, Jimmy has made up a standee showing Bill holding the book. Um, So obviously that's putting even more pressure on Bill. Also, Jimmy has thought of a story about Bill that could go into the book. Um, They were having dinner at Tavern on the Green, and Ross Perot came in and told them he was thinking of re-entering the race, but Jimmy was actually thinking of Dan Rather. Yeah, they talk about Dan Rather a lot in this episode. Yeah. Maybe Dan Rather's autobiography had come out recently or something. That's a good question. Just let me look Oh my god. (laughs) 1984. So it's not, like, new or anything. Sure. And then there's a funny little bit where Bill actually gets a memory and he says, Chicago, 68. And he's got kind of this funny dictation about the Democratic Convention. Chicago, 1968. The Democratic Convention. Hippies and yippies alike fill the streets, waging a war of peace against Mayor Daly's thugs. There I was, watching it on TV in my dorm and drinking. In the next scene, Bill comes in looking very rough. Uh, he takes some toothpaste out of Dave's drawer and swishes it around. No, he eats it. Does he eat it? Oh, he straight up eats it. He, I think he spits... Well, I think he swallows a good amount, but I think he does spit back in the drawer. Yeah. But it looks like he's... I mean, okay. it's a lot. It's gross, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever he's doing with that toothpaste, it's gross. Uh, he's come up with a possible title, which is I Suck, the Bill McNeil story. <laughs> I really like the way Lisa dances in with the clipboard on her head. I just think it's a it's a funny little like character touch that like, hey, she would try to show that off to Dave and like, oh, that's really funny. And then it's also a nice uh, juxtaposition with how miserable Bill is at the moment. Bill used the tape recorder to record his thoughts as he drove home, including the part where he swerves into oncoming traffic. Yeah, there were a lot of jokes about suicide, like him talking about killing himself, like straight up saying he's going to kill himself, like <laughs> looking for a gun that has a mouthpiece on it. Like, yeah. Like, Ooh, I know. It's, Yikes. It's not. Hmm. I kind of like that because I feel like, oh, those are some those are some dark jokes and uh, dark jokes on a network sitcom at this time are some big swings. But also, like, to be really an autobiography is what you're going to kill yourself <laughs> over. It, well, like. I think we're seeing kind of how histrionic Bill is or. I guess or like concerned about his image. Yes. So Lisa and Dave suggest just giving up. Yeah, just give up. Who cares? Um, Bill thinks everyone's going to be overjoyed to see him fail. Um, Lisa says she has never once wished for him to fail, even though she's actually laughing on the inside. She pretends that she's not, but she is, in fact, laughing on the inside. And Dave knows. Dave knows. He knows what it looks like when she's laughing on the inside. So Dave and Lisa try to explain to the others that he's really struggling. He's in the booth, and Dave and Lisa are talking to everybody else outside the booth. I like how they keep saying, don't look at him, don't look at him, um... And Matthew says, we're playing a game where we don't look at Bill. <laughs> Matthew interprets it as a game. I also like Beth's dress. Did you notice the dress she no, was wearing? No. She's wearing one of those kind of traditional Chinese dresses. I looked up the name. It's called a Chi Pao hmm. or a Chong Sham. Hmm. Chong, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong. Hmm. It's pretty. It's hmm. like black and has like roses on it. I feel like those were popular in the 90s. Mm. White women. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I remember I went through a phase where I wanted to wear chopsticks in my hair. Sure. Like. (laughs) Oh, it was, yeah, the late 90s. Come on. That's okay. Yeah, so everybody laughs at the situation, even Matthew. 
in the next scene, everybody's in the cantina. Um, Dave says, let's all make a real effort to be nice to Bill. And they say they'll try, even though he's been cockier than ever. There's a weird joke I didn't understand. About what Matthew says. Matthew says, oh, I thought you said something else. What What did that mean? Well, I was like, is, are they trying to make a penis joke? Yeah. It's something about cock. I guess. He's been a cock. He's been... A cockerel. A... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So Bill comes in. He's still bragging about uh, the writing process. I like that he's going to dedicate the book to his mother. And they go, aww. Or possibly the guy who invented the microphone. <laughs> um, so they all give him pretty transparent, shallow praise. And I do really like the way that Bill figures out what's going on immediately. Like, he sees through everybody trying to be nice to him. Oh, yeah. Just immediately. Uh, he says, my life couldn't fill up a haiku, much less a book. Um, so, yeah, there's a few really well-written lines where Bill very succinctly and also insultingly describes everybody else. The problem as I see it is that I have absolutely no personality of my own. No! Bill! Seriously, I envy you people. There's something distinct and individual about each one of you. Beth, the red-headed firebrand with a lust for life despite her go-nowhere job. (laughs) Joe, a two-bit hood Mon K with a can-do attitude that borders on delusional psychosis. <laughs> Matthew! <laughs> I don't exactly know what you are, but there aren't many like you. Oh, thank you. Actually, it reminded me of um, when Michael roasts everyone in the office. Oh, very good, yeah. You know, it reminded me that I wrote Bill roasting everyone at the end. Yes. Like, it felt very much like that. That's a good comparison. You crush your wife during sex and your heart sucks. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. <laughs> Angela, I couldn't see you behind that grain of rice. Yeah. Pam, you failed art school. Yep. Oscar, you're gay. And Boom. You're roasted. Ga- and you're gayer than Oscar. Kevin, I couldn't decide between a dumb joke and a fat joke. Yeah. Clearly, we know that show very well. Very, very well. Uh, he describes Joe as a two-bit hood monkey. To this day, I think that is the only use of the word monkey I have ever heard. Hmm. Um, I looked up that word, and I keep having to look it up. Obviously, this is the kind of brain I have because that word has stuck in my brain for 20 years. Mm. Okay. And I I know that if I saw it in the wild someplace else, I would be like, hey, there's monkey, just like Bill used. But I have not heard that. So it must be a fairly obscure word. What is it? I will have to look it up to give you the definition. So for Merriam-Webster, it is an adjective. Short of or frustrated in the fulfillment of one's aspirations or talents used post-positively. So a poet monkey would be someone who has failed or is frustrated in trying to Mm -hmm. be a poet. So so Bill describes Joe as a two-bit hood monkey. So Joe is trying and failing to be a hood. (laughs) Oh. It's a really, really specific word. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't hear it that often because you would not have a lot of chances to use that word. But anyway, he also says of Catherine that she's a woman and black. I know what I wouldn't give. (laughs) I mean, I think that's a very relevant, very current thing. I think there are a lot of people now who would say like, yeah, I probably could get farther in this industry if I had the advantage of being a woman and being black because that makes you 
distinct or, you know, gives you an advantage in hiring over just being another standard boring white guy. I would be very, very careful though about acting or saying that being a woman or being black gives you an advantage no, I'm, while traversing the world. I'm not endorsing that opinion. I'm just saying there are people who would, (laughs) that has not gone away. You could say that in the nineties and you could say that now, which is like, I'm boring. Like there, I have no distinguishable personality. And, uh, Catherine says, well, look at me, you know, I'm in radio too. Yeah. But you're a woman and you're black inherently making you more interesting and more Mm. maybe. I feel like that is an opinion only held by white men. I, (laughs) cause I, I just, I think it's really easy to compartmentalize and be like, yeah, cause in the workplace you have this maybe slight edge on me in very small amounts of circumstances, but in every other aspect of life, I have an advantage over you. So, yeah, I don't see that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not endorsing it. I just, uh, it, things have not changed that much in the 25 years since this uh, episode. Yeah, white men said that in the 90s and they still say it now. Yeah. He also <laughs> says, sorry, I had to play the race card, which that was a very current. Yeah, I wrote that was a 90s thing. Yeah, we'll come to that as well. Yeah, so one thing I like about this episode is that I think this is a genuine issue that bill is having and it's one i can relate to which is sort of like who am i like i've gotten to this age in my life where i'm like maybe moderately successful and maybe even like i'm expected to have a life story that is interesting or you know has some sort of arc to it and i have nothing to show for it in the sense of like no interesting stories or no Mm -hmm. you can sum up the other people around me maybe insultingly maybe reductively by saying like okay you're this thing you're this thing you're this thing what am i i'm just a guy who works in radio and even everyone around him is like yeah how would you describe bill Mm. mcneil as a person so i think that's a that's a very relatable midlife crisis male experience i think yeah, I I don't know. I think that I have always really liked stories and I've always actually thought of myself as a pretty good storyteller and I'm able to like make a story out of very little or like tell a story in an interesting way. I think so much of that has much more to do with the story you tell yourself about your life than what actually has happened in your life or mm-hmm. the story of how you and I met, right? Like you could say, oh yeah, like we went to high school together and that's really dull. But like I have crafted a story about you and I and how we started dating. That is like one of my favorite stories to tell because Mm -hmm. I have made it into a good story. And it's not untrue. It's just how you choose to tell it, Mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes sense. Sure. So. So there's a lot of... (laughs) We can agree that Bill is being overdramatic and egotistical and arrogant and all these other things. And at the same time, I think there is a core existential problem that he really genuinely is experiencing. Oh, I'm sure. And that's what I like. That's part of what I like about this episode. I also feel like any publisher that is going to offer you a book deal to write an autobiography to somebody who's not an author and just says, write it. Yes. Like... 
What kind of publisher no, is that? Like they that's would not... offer to have somebody right. help you ghostwrite yes, it. Exactly. I mean, that's the role of an editor is to yes. like move things around I mean, and alter things and make things, you know, more interesting or you yes. know, give it a better flow. That's sort right. of thing. So Yeah. Oh, good point. So Bill leaves the cantina saying, Sometimes a man just has to drink alone. And Matthew says, See, that's a great first line for your book. Sometimes a drinking man has to be alone with his drink. That was a lull for me. Right, Kayleen? You tell me. (laughs) You have a lot more experience there than I do. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure whether I wanted to include this or not, but, like, I think it's worth recognizing for myself that, like, this is part of the cultural narrative that I got about how men drink. Mm, yeah. Is like... Alone and sad. Alone and sad. Or mm. this is how adults handle their problems mm-hmm. is by drinking. And mm-hmm. I think I'm not trying to scold. I'm not trying to be judgmental. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, better than any of this. But once you kind of step back and look at the cultural narrative about how adults deal with these sorts of problems a lot of times in tv and movies it's by drinking oh yeah and that's not healthy is that art imitating life or life imitating art yeah that's a good question i mean my i made my life imitate that art because right. i thought that's how adults were supposed to do it right. yeah in the next scene mr james finds out that bill is depressed um yeah this is where matthew suggests that he killed himself maybe Mr. James picks up the standee, snaps it, uh, because he doesn't want Bill feeling worse. Of course, Bill sees him snap a huge cutout of himself um, and says, A2, Jimmy. So Bill is wearing a three-piece suit. I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed he like was dressed up. Yep, he was more polished. I love how he sort of gathers everyone around so he can tell them what happened. Um, it definitely feels like the scene in the office where Michael gathers everybody around to tell everybody how mm-hmm. he went to New York to quit at right. the head office. Great storytelling from Bill. Come on over here, sweetheart. I'd like you to hear this. Last night, I bet, move over here so you can better see my face. Last night, I hit my emotional bottom, and I have you people to thank for that. We're really sorry, Bill. No, you're not. Yes, they are, Bill. Whatever, it's not relevant. Anyway, after I hit the bottom, I looked up, and you know what I saw? The top? That's right. So I started climbing toward the top. Slowly but surely, climbing, climbing. Can you hurry this up? Climbing, 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 climbing. And when it was over, I had this. The first three chapters of my book. So for those of you who have just been waiting to see me fall on my ass, get comfortable because it's going to be a long wait. Climbing, 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 climbing. You really liked that. You said that like three times. It's just stuck in my head, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, at the end, Bill has the first three chapters of his book, but he's such a smug asshole about it that Dave refuses to sign the release because it's becoming a distraction for the office. So Bill will not be allowed to publish the book, even if he writes it. Bill charges into Dave's office and slams the door, and once they're alone, says, you think they bought it? So apparently they've worked out this whole arrangement behind the scene that... I called that. Yeah, remember? you did. Yep. I did. Yep. That, uh... That that was his out. That was his out, was that Bill was going to um, not have to do it because Dave is going to refuse to let him do so. 
I also like how they snap back into seriousness when Lisa comes in. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Lisa's in on it, too, because Dave told her. I called that, too. Yeah. I thought that was pretty. I thought I felt pretty proud of that. Mm-hmm. That was good. And that's, uh, like you said, that's a kind of a cute ending to the episode. And yeah. that's it. I wrote that I felt like that was a good boss move by Dave. Yeah. That is one thing, like, Dave does seem to try to help people save face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for somebody like Bill, clearly he cares a lot about that. It's all about saving face, yeah. In terms of analysis, Kayleen, what do you have to say about this episode? Um, I I thought it was kind of boring. I doodled in my notebook a little bit. Sure. It didn't feel like enough of a plot. It felt like it needed a subplot. Like, yeah. it didn't feel like a meaty enough plot to carry it by itself. Yeah. That being said, I found this episode more interesting now that we talked about it than I, I did when we watched it. Sure. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised to hear you say that, yeah, this is the only plot. Like, there is no B plot mm-hmm. to this episode, which is kind of surprising. And yeah, I I don't know if it fills out the entire situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it fills out the entire 22 minutes in a way that's satisfying. I, I like anything that showcases Bill. Um, yes, I do. love his insecurity combined with his arrogance. I just think that's really great. But yeah, I don't think this is, uh, apart from the uh, existential problem he's going through, I don't think there's that much to say about it. Mm-hmm. All right, now is the point in the show where we turn to... Yo, it's the 90s. All right, I want to hear the ones you have. I probably have more than you do, is oh, my I'm guess. Oh, I'm sure you do. Okay. So I have the Pentagon Papers. So that was like a 70s well, thing, right? right? I guess so. But I was like, that's not something somebody would reference now, I feel like. Hold on just a sec. Haven't you done your research beforehand, Jordan? You came unprepared. Yeah, I think the Pentagon Papers is something that gets referenced in this show the same way Richard Nixon gets referenced in this show, which is not to say that, which is to say that it's not a current event, something that's actually happening, but it's something in the lifetime and in the memory of the people writing the show. Um, I also have Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ross Perot reference. Yep. The race card. And in general, just the jokes about suicide. I don't feel like you would hear now. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Um, Dave compares Bill's autobiography with the Howard Stern autobiography, which must be private parts. Right. Um, and so Lisa says, ah, all about the ins and outs of lesbianism and sports banking, which I guess must be what that, yeah. I, I've never read private parts. I don't I feel like much. my dad read it or. It seems like a dad book. Yeah. But that also doesn't seem like something my dad would have read. It seems like a dad book, but not a your dad book. Yeah. But then honestly, what would be a your dad book? <laughs> uh, Tim Allen. Don't stand too close to a naked man. Yep. Yeah, my dad read that one too. Yep. And like Seinfeld. Ah. Sign language. Sure. I bought my dad George Carlin's Napalm and Silly Putty yep. once for his birthday. Farside. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. One thing I noticed was, well, so there are all the repeated references to Dan Rather. <laughs> and then also Lisa is reading a newspaper and on the back of the newspaper, there's a big picture of O.J. Simpson with a headline that I couldn't quite catch, but it's something like, has something to do with the O.J. Simpson mm, trial, sure. um, which was going on at this time. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was way more full of 90s references than a lot yeah, of I thought so episodes too. have been lately. 
And now it's time for the game. Alright, you ready? Yep. <clears throat> the topic for this game is celebrity autobiographies. Oh, okay. I might have a shot. Alright, so maybe. I'm, I'm gonna lay out some ground rules here. <laughs> oh no. So it's very clear that the writers on this show like celebrity autobiographies. Mm-hmm. Um, there are at least three more references to them coming up in the series. Don't give me spoilers! You just tell me too much about what's coming up. I don't want to know. Could that possibly spoil it? I don't want to know anything. Okay. Listeners, you know (laughs) the writers of this show like celebrity autobiographies and jokes about them. A lot of celebrity autobiographies will have kind of punny names. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, like, kind of cluing you into what they're most famous for. Okay. So, in this game, I'm going to give you the title of the autobiography. Oh, no. And I need you to tell me Who's who about? wrote it. Okay. And these have punny or sort of sure. like witty. Sure. Witty is a real stretch in some sure. cases. But funny enough names that you would be able to... Maybe guess. Maybe guess. Got it. I will also say you know all of these people. Okay. None of these people are people who you're like, who is that? Are you certain of this? There is maybe one or two where I think you might struggle with the name. Okay. But in each case, I know you know who I'm talking about. There okay. is not going to be a situation where you're like, I have never heard of that. It's like some baseball player from the 60s. Got it. Okay. Let me give you an example. So one autobiography from a very famous person is called Losing My Virginity. Madonna. Oh, see, that would be exactly right. I, that would be a little on the nose for her, but, like, it would be a, a play on, like, um, like a virgin, right? This is Richard Branson, right, who's the founder of Virgin oh, sure, Airlines, Virgin sure. Galactic, yeah, okay, that sort of thing. Okay. So, right? uh, you will get two points if you're able to guess it just from the title. Okay. And you will get one point if I give you a hint. Okay, so you kind of get where we're going with this? Oh, no. Okay. Question number one. The man with the gold... The Man with the Gold. The Man with the Gold. And their autobiographies. Yes. Of celebrities. The Man with the Gold. Oh, well, I want to say Donald Trump, because mm. he has, like, the Trump Towers or whatever that are gold. Who else is gold? I don't know. That would be Mr. T. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Question number two, and the answer is dot 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 reflections on my life. Game show host. And the answer is, it's like a game show person. Is that right? Is the person alive? Do you want a hint? The answer is, yeah. It is a game show host. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. That would be Alex Trebek. It was Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. That was my, my guess was. Why didn't you guess him? Question number three. This is called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Future. <laughs> the first person I thought of was, um, uh, what is his name? Michael J. Fox. <laughs> is that right? That's my guess. 
That is correct. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Michael J. Fox. Yep. Question number four. As you wish. Uh, the guy or the girl? The guy, Carrie Elwes. Elway? Uh, Carrie L... Carrie Elwes. Elwes. (laughs) I've never known how to pronounce it either. Yes, Carrie Elwes. Very good. Okay. Yep, very good. (laughs) Question number five. I'm your Huckleberry. Oh, I don't know, but I saw a thing one time that somebody referenced that. I don't know. I don't know. Would you like a hint? Sure. This is a line from the film Tombstone. That means nothing to me. <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood. Incorrect. That would be Val Kilmer. Okay. I don't know anything. Doesn't he play Doc Holliday? No idea. Okay. Question number six. This is called Storytelling. But story is spelled... Oh, Tori Spelling. Very good. All right. Yep. Yeah, nice. Story <laughs> Story is spelled S-T-O-R-I. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, great. Question number seven. After all, colon, how I made it despite everything. Oh, I feel like I know this one. I need a hint. This was written by the leading lady on at least two sitcoms. I don't know. That would be Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. Because remember the theme song Right, was, yep. yes, yes, yeah. Question number eight. Taking it like a man. <laughs> That's a yucky face. Taking it like a man? Mm. I don't, I need a hint. This was written by an androgynous 1980s singer. Oh, um... Oh, boy, George. Very good. (laughs) Took me a second. Yeah, you got it. Question number nine. Take me home. Country roads. John Denver. I love John Denver. (laughs) All right. And the final question. Question number 10. Before you leap. Look. (laughs) Before you leap. Mm -hmm. Hint. The author of this book is not a human. The author of this book is not. <laughs> the author of this book is not a living human. Well, is it a dog? <laughs> is it an animal? Is it an AI? The title is "Before You Leap." Quantum Leap. <laughs> that is the name of a show. Yes. Um. I don't know. That would be Kermit the Frog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> well, he's a frog. He leaps. But it's not an autobiography because he's a character. Well, I know. I was a tadpole <laughs> swimming in a pond. All right. So it's safe to say you hated this game. That's uh... I, No, I don't. I just don't feel like I'm good at trivia. So you got. If I get, if I get five, I'm thrilled. So a perfect score in this game would be 20. Okay. You got. You got 10. Perfect. Equivalent to five. I'll take it. (laughs) I thought you were going to have more fun with that than you did. I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought that was going to be more fun. All right. Any last thoughts about this episode? Eh. On to the next. Okay. Now is the point where we rate the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Kayleen, I believe you have the units for us. I do. We will be using unnamed horses. (laughs) (laughs) 
Love it. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, Do I go first or do you? Um, You go first. I'm going to say 2.5. Okay. I'm going to... 2.2. Okay. 2.35. Is that your final answer? Yes. Okay. Kaylin gives it 2.35 unnamed horses. Yes. All right. That's gruesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the uh, 0.35 is really nasty. I am going to give it 2.5 unnamed Mm. horses. I think this is a very middle-of-the-road episode. Yeah. Yeah. Got some funny stuff. Kind of forgettable. Mm -hmm. Now is the point in the show where we do recommendations. Kayleen, would you like to go first or would you like me to? I'm going to go first. You cannot recommend pajamas. I'm not even wearing my pajamas. I have to do laundry. I need to get more pairs of pajamas. Um, The thing I am going to recommend, because it is the holiday season, and when you go to the store, you will find... All kinds of things that you don't normally find because they're clearly trying to get you to buy things for the holidays. Mm -hmm. If you come across an oversized candy bar, you should buy it (laughs) because it is so delightful to open. Uh, I recently came across, I don't know if I, I don't know if Pearson nut rolls exist all over, but Pearson nut rolls are, (laughs) don't make that face. No, no, no faces. That's a face. Pearson nut rolls are a candy that my mom ate growing up. I remember that was her like candy bar of choice for a time. And I just like them. They are weird marshmallow something inside. You keep looking over at my oversized. Yeah, I'm it's 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 weird. It is weird. Yep. And it's covered in peanuts. And I've gone to the Renaissance Fair before, and they've had, like, homemade ones there, and mm. those are so good. Actually, mm. when I went to the one uh, this past summer, I was really bummed that I couldn't find a homemade nut roll. Uh, so anyway, when I went to a store recently uh, next to the giant Kit Kat that was the size of a spiral notebook mm-hmm. and a couple other, like, the you know, the gummy bear that's the size of a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a two pound Pearson nut roll and I was very excited because my parents are coming for Christmas and I thought, oh, like I'll serve this as like a funny thing. Hey, have this picture. Have this <laughs> like, picture on a platter. My, yes. This Norman Rockwell picture of you bringing it in on a platter <laughs> and just delicately slicing a roll. Oh, it's a piece for everyone. Handing it out to everyone. Yep. Yep. Christmas dinner. Christmas bounty. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. We've been Put, blessed. We've been blessed with a two-pound Pearson's nut roll. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> so uh, I bought it like a week ago. And then the other night I was just craving sugar. And I was like, what can I eat in this house that has sugar in it? And I spied the two-pound nut roll. And I got into it like a bad dog. Um, it's so delicious. I love it. I'm going to eat the whole thing myself. And I feel shame and pride mixed together about that. Um, I thought you could take a picture of it and put it on our Instagram. Sure, sure I'd be happy to. <laughs> so buy the oversized candy bar because you feel like a king or a queen when you eat it. It's really... It's really nice. Like, I kind of want to buy the big Kit Kat 
Mm, sure. I've seen like a two pound thing of Reese's peanut butter cup. Remember, I didn't I buy one of those for you yeah. one time? I mean, this is what I was going to say. And you ate like, it. And that was a poor choice. I don't care for Pearson's nut rolls yeah. myself, but you know that scene in Willy Wonka where they first enter the chocolate factory mm-hmm. and they just see everything's made of candy? Mm-hmm. If it were me, I would make a beeline for the giant Reese's. <laughs> the giant Reese's, just yep. stack them up and just start working my way yeah, down. Like a snake, just unhinge your jaw. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, enjoy the holiday season. Because you find weird stuff you just can't find Mm -hmm. any other time of year. I have heard this said, and I don't know how true it is, but I have heard that sometimes with these seasonal candies, the reason they taste better is because they get produced every year for the season, as opposed to just sitting in some warehouse all year long. So, like, when you get a Kit Kat, a normal Kit Kat, it could have been sitting in a warehouse for Mm -hmm. two years, you know? And it's not like they go bad (laughs) or anything. Um, but if you get the seasonal mm-hmm. uh, Reese's that, that's supposed to look like a Christmas tree, but really just kind of looks like a lump in pine cone, um, <laughs> then, you know, that was probably more likely yeah. um, manufactured for, for this Christmas season. It's not from last season. Although I got a, I, like I'm taking credit for it, our son got a uh, Christmas Reese's candy mm-hmm. for Halloween. Yeah, that's because they have the freaking Christmas stuff out yeah. now mid-October. So maybe that was a super fresh one. So there's my weird recommendation. Great. So you am looking forward to writing the description. Kayleen recommends giant novelty candy, specifically two-pound Pearson nut roll. Hell yeah, live your life. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a goofy one. I've got a little bit more of a serious one. and <laughs> I recommend investing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That would just be so you and me. Kayleen recommends giant candy and Jordan recommends making your money work for you. (laughs) Take the money you would have spent on that giant Pearson's nut roll and put it into an ETF. Uh, No, I'm going to put it into my (laughs) M-O-U-T-H. I'm going to recommend a digital Sabbath. So one thing that I have been doing lately, or trying very hard to do lately, is to take off from interacting with computers, especially the internet, especially especially social media on Sundays, mm-hmm. um, just as a way of sort of like decompressing and getting that stuff out of my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so if you send me an email or you know a DM or something on a Sunday and I don't get back to you, that's why. Do you I, still text? I do still text. One thing that I do, and I'm not super strict about this, is um, I will turn the color of my laptop and the color of my phone to black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen that. And that is just a way of cueing to myself. That's really easy to do. Just you change it in the accessibility settings, Mm -hmm. um, change it to grayscale. But it's a way of cueing to myself that, oh, this is not a thing I want to interact with today. Mm -hmm. And I still can use it. Like if I get a phone call, I'll use it, right? right? If I get a text message that I need to respond to or even an email, but like it doesn't have the same pull if it's in black and white, which is really helpful. Um, But I find that it's just a a good way to round out the week to not let yourself get pulled down the same (laughs) internet rabbit holes that you otherwise would. I also know that um, I use my phone as an escape from 
the tedium of taking care of small children Mm -hmm. and not having that on a Sunday is a way of being more present with them, Mm -hmm. which I think is really beneficial. Um, I still find myself reaching for my phone constantly, basically all day, but the having it on grayscale is a really nice Mm -hmm. way of reminding myself like, oh yeah, that's just not a thing I'm doing. And then it also frees me up to do other things that like, I know I will like, I just need to like put in the time to do. So like, okay, instead of watching TV in the evening, I'm just going to read a book. I know I will enjoy reading a book, (laughs) but once I've taken away the option of watching TV or, you know, putzing on my laptop or playing a game, then Hmm. if it's not there, then I'll do something better with it. Nice. I'm not great about this. You know, it doesn't happen every time. Progress, not perfection. That's exactly right. Okay, so for next time, we will be watching Season 2, Episode 8, entitled Negotiation. Hmm. Again, that's a really generic title. Mm-hmm. Could mean a lot of different things. Any guesses? My thinking is it's some type of, like, salary something or, like, contract. Hmm. Or, like, a hostage negotiation. I'm just thinking, like, the train thing when they were like, oh, we're reporting live on the train. Like, there could be a hostage situation. And there's, yeah. like, a, I don't know. That uh, could be. Yeah, good guesses. <laughs> like, you act like you don't know. I have a vague idea of what's going to happen, but I do not remember the details of this one well. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's all for us for this week. For WKJP News Radio, this is Jordan. And Keelene. Signing off. The theme music for WKJP News Radio is the song You Say But You Don't Know by the band Troubles Afoot. You can check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, Apple Music, or wherever you find new music. Special thanks to Uncle Keith for our use of equipment and technical support. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at WKJPPod on Twitter or Instagram. You can also email us at wkjppod at gmail.com. If you like our show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts to help us find other listeners like you. Thanks so much for listening.